0: hello everybody and welcome to the access ninja podcast we are a bi-weekly podcast that's every other week where we talk about accessibility through the lens of technology life and design i'm jonathan and
1: i'm rachel
0: how are you doing today rachel
1: doing pretty well i just came back from a vacation so hey that always gives a little refreshing
0: well that's that's nice where were you uh were you vacationing to
1: well it was a vacation for me and uh work for my husband <laughs> so i just talked alone uh we went to san diego he had a conference that he goes every year so i came along and had some plans to do actual work there but then some of the meetings didn't come through and i decided to just go have some fun
0: I was lucky enough to be in San Diego a couple of years ago for uh, the SeaSun conference, but that was a, a while ago and I got to see some of the sites. And that actually kind of us, transitions us nicely into uh, what we wanted to talk about today is kind of continue with this travel theme from our most recent podcast, because you got to visit kind of a cool site. Can you tell us a little more about that?
1: Yes, of course. Traveling is good you know everybody should travel uh i went to well i went to different places but the one that i loved the most and i thought was like most accessible was the uss midway aircraft air craft craft carrier goodness
0: and so you got to visit this site um how was the accessibility Were you do you think someone in a wheelchair could get into it because i know these aircraft carriers are without uh not being a museum one have not always been the most accessible very narrow uh hallways a lot of stairs um well how, how was the experience uh, from from your perspective there
1: well definitely the landing and flying deck is is accessible they have an elevator for you to get on there so you can go to the upper levels with an elevator Um, You can get from the, you know, main area to the elevator because there is like this weird open stairs to go up. Um, And then, um, you know, I didn't. So I think I, I didn't double check on that, but I think the elevator does go down to the second level. But I wouldn't say. I mean the the you know the bottom level I guess it's not the most bottom like the most bottom is the engine room but where they had the quarters and all that stuff uh I'm not sure there is um a good way for wheelchairs to go through it because in order to make the ship um less heavy they had to make it a little bit um shorter like the roof and and then also the walls like the, the each door like um stops at 58 so five feet and eight inches so if you're taller than that which is usually the case for a lot of uh the workers there uh they had to like bend in order to go in through the doors and um you know i didn't have trouble i'm just five six so i could just go through the doors really easy but it's very narrow and um you know and my husband had to bend because otherwise he would have like shoved the his head on the on the top of the door and um they said that throughout the you know the years of usage the biggest injuries were people banging their head on those uh on the quarters uh, doors and it was very narrow so i don't think a wheelchair there would have done, uh, you know. It, it was definitely not thirty-six inch wide.
0: So while you were talking about that experience, because I know you were visiting this purely recreational, not as an agent of Access Ninja.
1: No, not not this time. Actually, I want to go back and do that for <laughs> as an agent of Access Ninja. But uh, I had I didn't have a lot of time, so to go through the entire tour, you need at least three and a half hours and i only had 2 hours so yeah i didn't get to see a lot of things
0: and i jumped on the uh midway actually if you go to midway uh dot org uh, which is the website for the USS Midway, they do have an area about accessibility. And according to their website, at least they say, about 60% of the Midway is wheelchair accessible. 40% of it, there's just because of, the, like you said, the entryways and moving around, there's no right. way to get in.
1: Yeah, but there's even like the dinner area. And I think that's where the elevator comes down to. So you could see some things. You wouldn't be able to go maybe to the uh, you know, shower room and the uh, like the sleeping quarters and maybe the chapel or the office, officers dining room but other than like those kind of areas I think you'd be able to see a lot and it's 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 totally worth it I mean just the flying deck is really awesome just seeing that that was already I, like the, the, the very bottom part like where the quarters were I didn't I didn't spend a lot of time there and like actually I feel a little claustrophobic and uh, I can't, I can't imagine like, you know, how 4,000 people would live there and I think a lot of them didn't see the sun like, you know, six months at a time. I mean, they'll come up a little bit, but it's, they, they were mostly down there and, you know, I think, and the flying deck is more like, you know, pilots and uh, firefighters and all the people that you know mechanics and people that are dealing with planes and flying and all that but the rest that made the the ship actually work like we're downstairs most of the time and it's pretty dangerous up on the flying deck when it's working because there's i think there's plans planes landing like every minute or so
0: and one of the things we talked about those doorways, those entries that are really tough to get through. Uh, if you're a wheelchair user, if you're just entirely in a wheelchair user, you can't get through those areas. It's very hard for them to modify them. They, they generally have these built up so they can and, and I don't know the right term off the top of my head, but they basically have these big doors that can be closed and be watertight seals in case during a, a battle uh, they start to take on water. They can actually close off entire floors, entire uh, rooms and so those types of entryways are just generally not very wheelchair friendly. Although if you do have some mobility difficulty, you only need limited wheelchair access. They can uh, they can loan you a wheelchair and you can maybe do some limited walking. So just because uh, you've got some mobility difficulties doesn't mean you can't enjoy quite a bit of that museum, it sounds like.
1: No, it's, it's incredible. And, and I would say it's one of the most accessible museums I've been around Um they also have uh oh they they also said that sometimes they have to sh- uh, seal those doors because if the fire starts somewhere you know to contain fire and all that stuff so oh, it's, sure. it's for water and fire
0: so what was it like uh, as a as a blind visitor how was the accessibility for uh, for you
1: well it was really cool because first of all and i had my cane open so the lady saw that I was blind, so they have discounts, actually, if you want to take advantage um, for a blind person, and I'm imagining for wheelchairs too. So I got discount to go in, which was really cool, uh, you know, because I think the premise is that you won't be able to enjoy everything, so... I thought that was really neat. A lot of museums don't care. (laughs) Even if you're not going to enjoy it. Like, I remember paying full price for art museums that I cannot touch anything. (laughs) So I thought that was super cool and considerate of them. Um, And then they had audio description. They just started offering that a year ago. So they have the beacons, you know, the little yellow tabs. That you can, um, they give you a little device, it's like a little uh, sort of rectangle with with a linear that you can actually uh, hang around your neck so it's not bothering you. And then you point uh, to the different, uh, there's like little yellow tabbies like squares on the planes and on things. And then uh, some are green. And I do not know, I couldn't find somebody that could answer me what was the difference between the yellow and the green ones. I think the green ones were just audio for the audio tour, and the yellow ones were supposed to have the audio description part. And it was really cool because you could just point at it, and then it would do a little beep, and then it would. Um, you could put that little square on your ear like if it was a, a phone. And then you could hear what I was saying. That didn't work for me because I was trying to take videos also about my little travel adventure. And um, so, you know, I couldn't hold the the little rectangle d- device plus my phone plus my cane. I needed to be one of those Indian deities that have like eight arms. Um, so I got a headphones. I had headphones on my backpack and... Um, it the device has um you know a jack a headphone jack so that made it that really made it work and then i could just go walking around and they had excellent audio description so when i got to the uh flying deck you know it, um, it gives me the description of how the planes are laid out and what do you see you know, in front of you, behind you, the right and left and all that. So that was pretty cool. Of course, they do describe as, you know, starburst and, and you know, like kind of like Navy talk. So if you don't know what that means, you wouldn't know which one is the right and which one is the left. But it worked out. And, uh, oh, they had also a simulator. But uh, I couldn't go in the simulator all by myself. So I didn't do that.
0: Now, when you were telling me about this trip and accessibility, it made me think about my trip uh, a couple of years ago. My wife and I went to Hawaii, and we went and visited the uh, Pearl Harbor sites. And there's a, a couple museums that are there. And we were also uh, impressed with some of the accessibility that they had, And which is why we wanted to talk about this. Some of the things that they had there that I thought was interesting, they had an audio tour. Uh, like you, uh, similar to what you were describing. And uh, most of the Pearl Harbor area is wheelchair accessible. They do have a submarine, uh, I think called the Bofin that is not, you can see a lot, they have a whole museum area for it, highlighting it, photos, details, the history, but actually walking through the actual submarine, uh, you're not gonna be able to get in there with a with a wheelchair at all. It's very narrow, it's very short, and all of the, uh, different sections have to be moved through. You have to go through a lot of stairs and a lot of very narrow doorways. Uh, but they do have quite a bit on that site that someone in a wheelchair can still uh, enjoy if they're going with a with a group, or they even if you're going by yourself. There's plenty of things to see there. What I really liked, what I thought was interesting, that stood out to me was all they have a bunch of maps. This is around the USS Missouri. Uh, they have a lot of these uh, visuals. They have these scale models. Uh, they have these large maps. And all of the maps uh, were tactile, and they had a brailled version of it underneath the full-size maps. So they'd have a smaller braille version. Uh, it looked a lot like some of the uh, tactile uh, guides that we actually make at State Services for the Blind. Uh, when we have to do like an illustration of like a cell, uh, they'll make a a a... 3d or a bumped model for that and then they had these scale models of different ships and they would be in these big glass cases but right next to them would be a smaller also scale model looked like it was made out of like brass that you could use as a uh, to touch and feel and get a sense of what the model is so everything had some sort of tactile version of it
1: that would be so cool because that was the thing, and I didn't find a model, and of course that thing is huge, I didn't go through all of it, but I wish if there was one little, like, you know, miniature of the midway, it would have totally given me a general idea of what, you know, it was really hard to 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 make up in my mind, like, how it all looked together, because it's huge.
0: Yeah, because these, yeah, these are really, really giant ships. And to understand the shape and the sections and especially the, uh, the upper decks and, and how everything's laid out, having those miniatures that you can freely touch and manipulate, I think, was a great way of, of making that more accessible. I was also impressed, and it could have been because they were new, but the maps, uh, the tactile maps were, were very robust. Uh, when I went to Disney World uh, a couple of years ago, they had a tactile map that was all worn out. And so it was practically useless. <laughs>
1: yeah. people. Well, like, for example, having something made of metal, like brass and stuff that will stay, you know, great throughout the years. But sometimes they make like little, you know, mock-up miniatures out of, materials that if it's touched over and over again, especially not by blind people, right? By kids and all that stuff that bends and breaks. I, I don't remember which museum I was at. And I remember that half of the stuff there that supposedly I could touch, it was already not, you know, somebody had already bent some parts and it was not made for, for rough touching.
0: Yeah, the map I'm thinking about was specifically at Epcot and it was near where you start to get into the the World's Showcase, which is mm-hmm. these little little fake towns from like Paris and London and all these types of places and this thing had like a basically it was like a big picture map. You could look at it and it looked like a just a big version of their paper map, probably about mm-hmm. maybe 3 or 4 times the size. So very, very big. And they had used just, I think, a, a, a layer of like plastic that they mm-hmm. had used to create all of the bumps. And if you touched it, it was in in the center. So in the center moving out, you would have think it was perfectly smooth because it was completely rubbed off from the center. And the only way you could tell that it was originally a tactile one is on some of the corners you could still feel... Uh the tactile uh <laughs> the bumps. Yeah. And you could and there was braille there. You could see it was braille, but the dots, you know, like half the dots would be missing. So the braille was just gibberish.
1: Yeah, and you also have to think because, you know, especially in a place full of kids, like kids love braille and then they love to push the dots down.
0: Oh yeah. You
1: know, they think it's very interesting and they don't understand that you you push one dot down is a completely different letter. So
0: <laughs> Exactly.
1: now what i thought was very interesting from a you know design usability standpoint was that if you are by yourself right it's really hard for you to find the little squares uh you know to to kind of like to point your device to it so it really requires you to have somebody with, uh, if you're blind, right? For yeah. you to, to to like enjoy it. And um, so that was a part that, you know, to me always amuses me that they do stuff for the blind. But people totally forget that there are independent blind people that actually go to places. Like in my case, you know, my husband was on a conference. He did come and meet me there which was awesome but uh, yeah so, but that creates a big problem with finding those those uh, beacons for you to point at
0: there's a couple museums here and there and they use either Bluetooth beacons so the wireless beacons so that the device knows you know what room you're in as you move around and that makes it so you can be a bit more independent uh, I think there was a museum I visited uh, in in Oh, Philadelphia that had, their audio tour was designed like that. So you would enter the area and on their audio tour, there would be a device that you could basically, there'd be like a next button and it would play all the audio tours that it knows are in the area. So you could get a better idea. It wasn't automatically playing, but it would only give you options for the room or section you're in so that you could do that more independently. But there are a handful of ones with just full on Bluetooth functionality in fact the iphone has the capability of doing it and there's a couple of museums and i don't know the specific ones right now that you can download the app and use your phone and its app and its bluetooth uh to basically move through the museum and have the correct audio tour play when you got close to a particular exhibit
1: and to me like as a aspiring youtuber uh i think that would be the best right because now I know that it starts reading about the you know F4 fountain, uh you know Phantom 2 airplane when I'm near to it because if it's next you don't know what to point and what to show right so I uh, and I remember that cuz that was one of my favorite uh, audios so um so I knew that I was exactly uh, next to the f4 and i could you know take a picture and label it and i could also like uh, videotape it ex- exactly there I Me, mean, we don't videotape anymore goodness but yeah so i could you know shoot and tell them exactly where i was
0: it's interesting because some of this technology has been around for a very long time the ability for the device to know roughly where it is Because this is the same sort of system that we talked about in a couple podcasts ago about one of my Disney trips. And I used the uh, audio describer for the rides, a little device I carried with me. And that thing dates back to the early 90s, I think, or even the late 80s. And you could carry with you on a ride. And the ride had a little radio transmitter. And whenever the device got nearby it, it would know, oh, you're at this part of the ride. And it would play the audio description for that section, which they did... So, that if the ride slows down or stops, the audio description doesn't get too out of sync.
1: Yeah, it doesn't keep going. <laughs> right. Yeah. And,
0: and this is the same sort of thing as some of these museums have used, but they've gotten a little bit more advanced with like the Bluetooth, the eye beacons, uh, the little Bluetooth beacons. But we haven't seen a, a really widespread use of those yet. Only like some very specific places or maybe some more technologically savvy museums have been able to take advantage of that.
1: Well, they're not that expensive, too. So, you know, like, I mean, I wouldn't understand if it was like this crazy amount of investment, but it's not. And I think we talked about, I mean, that's what Japan, I think, is trying to do for the Olympics.
0: Right? Oh, exactly. They're building, at least they... When I was – coincidentally, I mentioned that CSUN conference I went to a a couple years ago, and that was where I heard about that system. They actually were at CSUN presenting, and they were going to use one of the largest implementation of Bluetooth beacons so that you could get proper information and descriptions indoors because GPS doesn't work indoors. And this same exact system that they're going to be implementing for the Japan uh, Olympics and Paralympics – Uh, is what can be used inside of a museum that can be used at a mall it can be used at any place that there's a large amount of public people moving through and they need to have proper navigation Uh, but uh, we haven't seen a very many widespread implementations of it and so it that's why it's so exciting is is if it works really well and we'll get an idea of what the cost is and what the overhead was and maybe we can start to see this type of thing show up everywhere
1: Yeah, and I, I I mean, I remember because when I was in design school, I think the semester I enjoyed the most was when we were um, taking exhibit uh, usability, you know, and we would like um, consult for exhibits or museums and all that. And I think that, you know, even though we created all kinds of things, even with QR codes and all that, that location, um, identification was always a big problem. So I think that that can get completely solved with uh, with iBeacons, Bluetooth.
0: And of course, we're talking about this in the sense of accessibility, right? We have an audio system that plays, depending on your location or internal navigation, but of course, these are features everybody will enjoy. If I could have a little audio tour guide that I carry with me, and when I walk to exhibit, I just press a button and it plays. I don't have to look for a number. That's just a better user experience. If I have the ability to go to like the Mall of America, there's giant museum, and then open up the app and have it give me turn-by-turn directions to my next location, and it doesn't get confused at where I am, that's a fantastic new navigation tool. Or if I'm at a a college, a large college campus that I've never been to before. I need to find my way to a classroom and I get into a building and the directions keep working. That's a great new, better tool. And as nothing, that's something that obviously if you are blind or new need extra accessibility support, that's huge. But everybody, everybody would love tools like that.
1: Yeah, no. And that always fascinated me, you know, because airports and malls and campuses like i i used to do a tactile map project for the university of kansas and i remember that i was so frustrated because it wasn't just the, the the navigation issue there wasn't just for blind people but it was a big problem even for people that came you know the first time on campus or it, it's a beautiful campus but it's not an intuitive one at all and um and You know, at that time, beacons weren't that easily. um, You know, it it wasn't something that you could install that easy. And I think that now it is, and and it opens this whole new opportunity.
0: Like, absolutely, and I'm very excited about. uh...
1: We should make a project a Nexus Ninja, like location project. Yeah, and um, and you know, and I went to the USS uh, North Carolina, I believe is the name. Uh, it's uh, it's in North Carolina, of course, and um, uh, you know, and, and and it's just a battleship. It's not a air car- air carrier, <laughs> craft carrier, but um, it did, you know, it it didn't have audio description. Now they did a great job. Uh the veterans were around like in every single part of the ship, giving you uh, little quote unquote live audio tours. And they were also um of course, you know, answering any questions you wanted, which to me it's great because I always have a million questions. So um and And it was really nice, but I would think that that was definitely not accessible. I remember, uh, so the steps here at the Midway uh, for going from the, you know, the main area to the quarters area, it was actually actually a staircase. And in the battleship, uh, it was like a leather style, you know, like you had, there was not a staircase, you actually had to step kind of like i had to like look back towards the door and then just go down you know one foot at a time and i remember that i had my guide dog with me and he was just like there's no way i'm doing that and he didn't so i left him upstairs with a friend so if i would have had him with me and being by myself i wouldn't have been able to go explore uh the sort of like the downward quarters in the uss north carolina but in the midway i remember because that was the first thing i thought i had my cane with me but i was like oh if jarvis had come with me like this time around he he could have totally gone with me to the sort of quarters area and uh, where they had the infirmary and all that stuff
0: yeah i think i've only been on i to think with battleships i've been on when i my family lived in Massachusetts we had the u s s Massachusetts, which was a big battleship that's also turned into a a museum. I was actually lucky enough my my grandfather because he was a veteran and he served uh in World War two on the u s s Pritchett a destroyer that uh was in the uh the pacific theater um, and so since he was a veteran uh they decided with the Massachusetts that they were going to take it out one last time, uh, to kind of go around the Bay before I think they did it, put it in a full, a full dry dock. Cause it originally was in the, uh, in the water. And I actually got to, uh, because my grandfather was a veteran, he invited me and I actually got to ride on a battleship. That is so cool. So that was amazing. But like, like you said, it's a very narrow, a lot of stairways. These things are, um, you know if you're going to turn to a museum, accessibility is always a challenge there and uh they are they but they are huge, and they you know we still have battleships out there and and these things the ones these museums are part of these major conflicts that make up uh our history and it's good to be able to visit these sites and reflect on the people who served on the ships and uh, the role they played. Uh, In these different conflicts, and they should be as accessible as they as they can be, and it's 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 good to hear, especially with the um with the Midway Museum and the work they've done with Pearl Harbor, that they maintain accessibility. Of course, accessibility is exceptionally important because there's a lot of vets who want to visit, and a lot of vets have uh, major injuries that uh, give the that can result in a in in a disability that puts them in a wheelchair. You know, damage the legs uh many of the veterans of you know some of the foreign wars are older, and we want to give them uh, access to this history uh, as much as anybody else it's It's very important and uh it's good to see the commitment that these sites tr- try to make and and the what we can probably do to make them even better as we get better at engineering and figuring out accessibility challenges
1: you know while it's funny though it I think they just installed the um, audio description less than a year ago and they have the audio uh you know the audio tours and they have all kinds of languages it's really cool like they have Mandarin Japanese um, Spanish um, they have I don't know I can't I can't remember the whole list but I was impressed it was like at least like 12 languages and um, The funny part, though, was that somehow, wherever how mine got set up, it had the audio description in English when I got to the audio description. But when I just got the audio tour part, you know, that just said, like, what everybody else would get, mine was a Mandarin, so I could hear the English and then the translation of Mandarin on top. So I was uh, laughing really hard, and I'm sure it was just a syncing thing, you know that happened but it was funny but I didn't have time to go back and switch I'm sure they would have given me a a different one if I had time
0: when uh when my mother and I were in in Paris on our trip we we went on a boat tour and they were playing over loudspeakers the different tour information as we were going down uh, going down the river and I think I counted eight different languages there and uh, it's, we talk about accessibility, we're using the word ex- accessibility in the context of of disability. But accessibility can also be used as a term to bring in different peoples, you know, to be able to enjoy something, and having access to these other, to a variety of languages, because these major conflicts, they're world history, right? World War Two is a world history. And yes. these ships that served in them are a relic for everyone to enjoy. And so having access to uh different languages so everyone can visit it on their in their native language uh which is easier uh is very important as well
1: i agree i agree it's like uh when my uh when i worked on my thesis i did make a lot of what i call cultural access and you know i think when we talk a lot about blind accessibility we're talking about information access and And, you know, wheelchair, we're talking about physical access, but definitely there is a cultural access component. And sometimes, you know, using a symbol uh, that doesn't translate across cultures, then it means that it's not accessible because they wouldn't understand what that means.
0: Well, I think this was, this was a, turned out to be a pretty fun topic.
1: (laughs) It was, let's travel more. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh and I wanna say they you know they're doing a great job at midway and it's totally worth it to go see it.
0: Well that is excellent. Well I think with that we will uh we will wrap this up. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll post some show notes, some links to some of the uh, accessibility sections of those various museum sites. If you've got feedback for us, please give it to us at feedback at ninja. And, uh, you know, be good to each other. All right.